What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the River Blast Podcast. I'm Noah Hiles. And I'm Alex Stumpf. And... Oh, no! We suck again! Yeah, we're bad. Yeah. We are... This... We, we aren't bad. I mean, we are also bad. Yes. But the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, not great. No. No, not very good at all. Uh, losers of their last eight. Hopefully, when you're listening to this on Wednesday morning, the, the losing streak will be over. Yes. Because this is tough. It, it really is. I mean, this is... It, it's not like they've been blown out. They've been blown out a couple games. Oh, yeah, they have. But then there was that... Some really frustrating losses. There was that 2-1 game in Arizona, which uh, Trevor Williams pitched, you know, you know, out of his mind. Pitched real well there. There's the 3-1 loss to Chicago on Saturday. There, or, not Chicago, Los Angeles, sorry. Yeah, and that was a game where Musgrovers left mm-hmm. one batter in. One batter too long in. Everyone knew it mm-hmm. before the at bat even started. It's like get him out of there. Six and two thirds. I know it's you wanted to get him to clean seven, but you need the win more. Mm-hmm. There was that Sunday game against the Dodgers where they blew the five one lead. And something that nobody's talking about in that game that really frustrated me is whatever is five two. Trevor Williams gets the fly ball to center field. Reyes took an awful route to that ball in center. He should have caught it. That was a three-run misplay. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's stuff like that. There's been so many of those this season where they don't show up as an error on the stat sheet. But yes. just, like, it shows up on pitcher's ERA. It shows up uh, as runs on the stat sheet. And it shows up as losses in uh, you know on the schedule and in the standings. Yeah. And it's just guys taking horrible routes to ball, fly balls, guys misplaying... Gr- uh, ground balls, you know, they might not get an error, but only getting one out when they could have got a double play, just stuff like that. It's it's just it's just been a miserable week, and you know, this is gonna happen in baseball. You win five in a row, you lose eight in a row. That's a tough break. Um, I mean, they they lost ten in a row in twenty fourteen and still made the playoffs. Yeah. So I mean, and granted, you know, that team also had Andrew McCutcheon, and uh, <laughs> they were it- they were red hot at the end of the year too. But it, my point is, it's it's early, but it has been yes. insane how bad this team has played at in the points. last. Yeah, at points, this has Overall. been such a, a peak and valley team. Yeah. Do you want to figure out why they're the valley? Yeah. So normally we like to bring you some analytical information, or we like to you know give you some insight. Both of us are credentialed. We try to give you the scoop from what's going on in the clubhouse. We're we're reverting from all of that. Yes. We are just going pure instinct here, and we're trying to figure out what we can blame this losing streak on. And uh, I'll start it off um, with one of my co-workers. Uh, he's a really good guy. Uh, been nothing but kind to me, so I hate to do this to him, but Andrew Filipponi, the tweet. I mean, be like that sometimes. I mean, Chris Muller pointed it out. He said, you know, they're they're one in eight, I think, since since his yeah. tweet. Um, and the one win came in a five inning game. So, I mean, that was literally God helping us at that yeah. point in time. Uh, or Cole Tucker, if you want. I mean, there's not a big Why difference are you being between redundant? the two. Yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> but overall, I mean, Andrew Filipponi, the history, you know, with the Steelers tweets and everything, and then for him to do this, and uh, I mean, it was really cruel. He knows his power. Uh, I just don't think he's learned how to channel it yet. So it is. It is quite astounding. It is. Though. It is very fun. Like, 
okay, even if these are because I look at some of the things he, he it's not like he's doing this on purpose. Like, no, it's he, especially during football season. It's like I agree with some of the points Andrew, that he's making here. If you ask any host at the fan, they will tell you that Andrew is the most prepared. Yeah, talent at that station. I mean, he comes in earlier than anyone else does before their show. He does his research. He cuts his own sound, which is a producer's dream. I mean, he he works his ass off, and that's why, I mean, he will have a national show one day. I know that, you know, some people here, they don't like him because he's a contrarian more often than not, but he's an outside-the-box thinker, and he has his takes lined up, and he doesn't just shoot from the hip. He has information, he has reason behind pretty much everything that he says. Um... Which but, makes this run even a which more is, amazing, makes which it is even, like the sheer probability it is of being wrong this how often. wrong he is. Uh, I mean, if it was even just a coin flip. Yeah. I mean, we're talking... It is It is fun to watch baseball games with him in the press box when he does come, when they have the cat, occasional like afternoon game. He gets so frustrated when his picks do go wrong, too. <laughs> like, I've seen him multiple times just go, F this, and just leave mid-game and stuff. Uh, like, he... he, he, he I mean, he oh, he truly so believes when he gives a take, and he wants for nothing more than just, like, the one time when he said the Steelers would beat the Patriots, and they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was in his glory then, and he wants nothing more than to be able to do that again and again, and it's it's been tough. I mean, he's he's been in a longer slump than Cervelli and Gung, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure which one will end first. So we could say <laughs> the Pony tweet, Definitely did not help them. No. Um, but let's get more serious now. The the next thing well, we could point, it's uh, Easter Jinx. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, they have not won a game since playing on Easter. Um, their last win came on 420. You can make of that what you will. Uh, and Easter, I mean, I don't know if, if, they're, if they've pissed off Jesus. I don't know if they've pissed off the Easter Bunny. I don't know if they, you know, maybe it's a Jewish thing like Passover. I, I don't, I don't know what it was, um, but they pissed off someone. They pissed yeah. off a higher power because it. Simple logic on the field does not explain this losing streak. You know who they pissed off? Who would they piss off? It's, you know what? This last Easter was the five Easter anniversary of. What's that? Oh, the Travis Snyder spiking Carlos Gomez. <laughs> Into the ground. Yeah, well, I mean... And one of the best brawls in PNC Park history. I mean, Travis Snyder, to me, like, everyone remembers him for the spike, but I think he still got the worst of that. He had the sunglasses on and got punched in the face oh, with the yeah. sunglasses. Oh, yeah, he absolutely did. And, oh, man. But it wasn't as good an image. That that was that was pretty wild. It's iconic. Uh, that was... Who would have thought? I, I, I mean, I another reason you could blame is uh, me. I, I'm, I've been to, I think, eight home games this year. I'm, like, two and six. So I can't believe and both the wins are against the Reds, so it's not great on my end. Last year, I think I I was like the first like fifteen games I was like thirteen and two or something like that that I worked or attended. So it's it's been tough. Normally, they don't lose that often when I'm there. Uh, like even when they were horrible, I was pretty good luck. But this year, it's just been maybe I've been at the fan too long, and um, some people are rubbing off on me the bad luck. Um, so you got the Easter jinx, you got the pony tweet, you've got me. Uh, another thing that I hate to do it to him because he's been, I think, fine since he's been called up, but it's Cole Tucker, the rookie, oh, well, the rookie could, curse. It could also be Reynolds. Last year, they called up a top five prospect. Yeah. The team was in first place when they did so in Austin Meadows. 
and they fell apart. They fell apart in May, and they couldn't get it together until you know July, really June, July. This Whenever year they got rid of him. But this year, once again, Starling Marte goes on the ten day IL, and they call up a top five prospect. This time, not to replace Marte. They call it up another prospect, obviously, to replace Marte in the lineup. But they call up Cole Tucker. Everyone's excited. The hype is around Cole Tucker. He delivers in his first couple games. And the team can't scratch off a win. So maybe it's the rookie curse. This I was is like, a strong I, case of causation versus correlation. We, we need to go back and see, like, what were the records. I mean, the team imploded after they called up Marte in 2012. They were... Just about ready to implode. Yeah, I know. Um, the team, Polanco, the when he came up, I think that was around the time when, maybe a little bit later is when the losing streak, the 10 the lose, game. The losing streak happened with, in August. That's when McCutcheon why, got beamed. Yeah, which is what made it so improbable whenever they made that mad dash yeah. in the playoffs. It's like, you're not supposed to lose 10 games in August. Yeah. Right? Um, I'm trying to think who else. Garrett Cole, there was no 10-game losing streak, I don't no. think. No. Yes, but I mean, as of late... It's not great. Uh, these rookies, and regardless of how much they help, they struggled after he came up in 2016. Yeah, I mean, just man. I mean, maybe they're just better off staying down there forever. I don't know. <laughs> Does this mean we're going to trade Cole Tucker? I don't know. I can't imagine it will be, or, or who would. I don't know why they would do that, but anyway, I, yeah. I just I don't Besides know. The fact that it makes no sense. I just can't. Will it happen? <laughs> yes, I can't. Can't wrap my mind around this baseball team. And our final theory is uh, this club can't win a nine-inning game without Eric Gonzalez. Yep. And that's just a fact. They have not. Look, if you're not going to get thrown out at third base or make fielding errors, what good do you have being a shortstop? I mean, they've yet to win a nine-inning baseball game without Eric Gonzalez, which is wild. So you would think that Eric Gonzalez's wins above replacement statistically would be 12 because since he is one on the I.L., it, it's they have not won a game. It shot the moon, and that's why I said negative like, yeah. 0.2 or whatever. 12 right wins now. above replacement for Eric Gonzalez as far as our calculations go. Yes. So, um, I mean, yeah, but on a serious note. Oh, now wanna, we're going serious. When you want to break it down, like, just everything has gone wrong. They, they can't hit. Yeah. They can't field. They can't run. They can't throw. They can't pitch. P- play the sound clip again. Oh, no! We suck again! They suck again. They suck again. They really suck again. So, one guy who doesn't suck is Matt Trueblood, and he is our guest for this episode. He is from Baseball Prospectus. Yes. Is that it? Yeah, my, uh, my undiagnosed um, dyslexia wrote Baseball Prospects because <laughs> I'm an idiot and just don't read things through all the time. Uh, and we talked to him about a recent article he wrote about ground, turning ground balls into outs and how the Pirates have successfully done that, and they're starting to be innovative again, which is good. Alex and him talk a little bit about that. I ask him about you know his thoughts on the team in general. He even talks a little bit about uh, everyone's favorite owner in sports, Bob Nutting. So we got a lot of good stuff coming up there. Check it out right now. All right, so our guest this week is Matthew Trueblood from Baseball Prospectus. Hey, thanks for being on the show. How are you doing? Doing well. Happy to be on. I, we wanted to get you on because you just wrote something in your Rubbing Mud feature about how the Pirates are one of the best teams in baseball at gobbling up grounders. They're converting those ground balls into outs, and whenever you... Uh, there have been some very frustrating errors along the way, 
But in the macro sense, this has been a good defense for converting outs so far. Yeah, they really have. And it's not all about playing well as individual defensive infielders, which I think you have to kind of tease those two things apart because obviously there have been glaring errors and some some really poorly timed ones too. But this is a pitching staff that is rediscovering what they had mastered five or six years ago and then sort of lost the ability to do, which is not only induce ground balls but induce weak, low-value contact when they do get grounders. That's making it easier on the defense and then as you pointed out, they're shifting more effectively, too. Yeah, and I think whenever... <laughs> they kind of have to shift effectively because whenever you're putting Colin Moran at second base, it's... <laughs> I mean, he can make the very routine plays. If the ball's hit right to him, that's good. And so far, it has been. Yeah, and but I think it's also emblematic of the era. Um, this is a, a year in which Mike Moustakis is also a regular second baseman. Mm-hmm. Um, my colleague Zach Kreiser dug into this at BP earlier this spring, that there's really been a fairly dramatic shift all over the infield, especially maybe at second and third base, but all over there uh, toward selecting those guys for offense, knowing that shifts can help paper over deficiencies in range. You're looking for guys who can, whose bat helps your lineup and who aren't going to totally embarrass themselves on balls hit in their general vicinity. Another thing you brought up earlier is how this rotation is getting the weak contact to make that possible. And for years it was, you know, the Pirates were throwing two-seamers, and then uppercut swings started to become commonplace, and two-seamers really weren't a good flavor of the month anymore. Seeing that evolution, like, is this something that you think is going to be staying here, or... Is this maybe just the benefit of small sample size? Maybe put an asterisk next to this. Yeah, that's the interesting question. I'm inclined to say that it's a skill they're going to be able to sustain because it's not dependent anymore on throwing sinkers, which has sort of gone out of vogue and gone out of vogue for a reason. The way hitters have changed uh, their approach, their preparation, their swings... They're ready for sinkers. Sinkers essentially act like flat fastballs in the minds of most hitters these days. But what the Pirates are doing, and you guys have watched this unfold, they're just throwing a lot more breaking pitches. Uh, they're getting inside on guys with back foot sliders. They're using the cutter a little more, maybe the sinker a little less. And they're pitching to weak contact without relying on a single pitch that's going out of vogue across the league. Matthew, uh... We've talked earlier about, you know, guys like Colin Moran playing second base, and you mentioned, you know, Mike Moustakis and Travis Shaw becoming, you know, middle infielders in the past couple of years. Do you think that this is the start of pretty much everyone simply being an infielder rather than having a specialized second base or third base position throughout the whole minor leagues? Are we going to see more versatility with this uh, new mindset yeah, I think it's that's the general direction things are sliding. Now, of course, if MLB does go forward and put some limitations on shifting, then that's going to change the dynamic. But not only do you have more spots where teams feel like they can hide poor defenders, 
you're seeing teams be more proactive about putting their best defenders wherever they think the ball might go. Uh, you see the Cubs shift around Javier Baez to find where where a ground ball or a line drive is most likely to go in a particular game situation. That's going to continue to happen more and more, too, because teams know that as long as they are allowed to freely move their players, there's better and better data telling them where the ball's most likely to be. Let's put our worst guys where the ball probably isn't going to go or where they won't have to move much to field it, and let's put our best guys where they have important ground to cover. So you were a guy who helped write the preview for the Pittsburgh Pirates this year, someone who examined the team uh, before the year started, um, and now looking at where they're at now, entering Tuesday, two games under five hundred. They haven't won a game uh, since April 20th. Um, is, what are your impressions so far on this club? Are they pretty much what we had as advertised, you know, a mediocre team that's going to have some winning streaks and some losing streaks? Are they underachieving? Are they overachieving? What do you think? What strikes me is that they're kind of in the same general bracket of overall performance that I thought we might see from them, but it's shaped very differently, especially among the position players than I thought we would see. I had basically given up on Josh Bell doing the breakout that, you know, we all knew why he might do it, but I never really thought it was going to happen. And lo and behold, it's happening. (laughs) Francisco Cervelli, I, I thought he had made enough concrete changes that even as he aged and injuries bogged him down, he was going to be able to stay a productive offensive catcher. And right now, yikes. Uh, So there are a lot of guys who are doing kind of the opposite of what I thought they'd do. And yet it's sort of coming out to the same level. I do think they're essentially on track for what I predicted before the season, which is a slightly sub 500 team. They're going to be a lot of encouraging things and a lot of frustrating things which is becoming their routine over the last few years. If they do get healthy, though, I'm going to ask a very pessimistic question in a minute, so I'm going to lead in with an optimistic one first. But if they do get healthy, like get a healthy Corey Dickerson, Storyling Marte, Cervelli gets his group again, do you still think, even though teams don't usually have eight-game winning streaks and then flirt with winning records, let alone playoffs afterwards... Like, is this still, like, within the realm of possibility in your eyes? Yeah, I don't think any team is, you know, the Cardinals have been impressive. They've been, if anything, better than I expected them to be, and I expected them to be good. But they haven't run and hid, uh, and the Pirates have stayed competitive. I know it's an eight-game losing streak right now, and that is, it's been hard to watch, too, along the way. Some of the, the breakdowns of innings, the injuries that relievers are suffering, that's all pretty brutal. But the talent is essentially unchanged. And in fact, if we've learned anything that you really believe in since the start of the year, it's probably that the pitching plan has evolved in a way that you maybe were starting to fear wasn't going to happen anymore under Ray Searage, and that Josh Bell might really be breaking out. Those things are net positives. So if anything, we should be looking at a slightly higher level than what we expected from the Pirates before the season. Okay, so that was the fun, optimistic one. But since this is a Pirates podcast and how we are contractually obligated to talk about ownership. Absolutely. At least (laughs) once a month. uh, You've had some strong feelings on Twitter about this in the past. And I I pulled up a tweet here 
from a couple weeks ago where you were talking about, you know, the problematic parts of ownerships across the league. And in the same tweet, you bring up the Cubs, which the Ricketts family is, it's not a good family. They are bad owners. And in the same paragraph, you bring up the Nuttings, and even though the Nuttings are not doing any of the shady, terrible things that the Ricketts are accused of, just that terrible mindset that they've had in the penny-pinching and will not go the extra mile no matter what makes them, in a lot of ways, just as unlikable. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, what was that? So I guess the question would be, do you stand a do you stand by it that you know they are just unlikable in that in the very baseball term we're gonna take away you know the politics part of it but just as like one of the thirty owners in baseball the nuttings are just as problematic to Pirates baseball as say the Ricketts are to the Cubs. Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. I think if you strip away the externalities, especially the things that might make you uncomfortable about the Ricketts on a personal or a moral level, uh, the Nuttings have essentially been behaving for two, well, I don't know, how long have they owned the the team? Essentially, for that entire time, they've been behaving exactly as the Ricketts are now. Whereas at least the Ricketts had a cycle during which they were investing in all levels of the organization and really expanding what the team was able to do. The Nuttings are kind of constantly in that phase of cost cost cutting and being budget conscious and forcing the front office to stay focused on the long term that other teams just cycle in and out of. So when you have an owner like that, I guess the last question we can ask is how does a front office overcome that? How does a general manager like Neil Huntington, how does a coaching staff, you know, work with what their owner gives them? I mean, we've seen them I guess, overcome the cheap owner in the past through being innovative with shifts and everything. Uh, But what's the next step? How do you get that extra inch that most other teams with a decent owner don't need to gain? Uh, You used one of the words that I would use right off the bat, which is innovation. Mm -hmm. And the other one is resource allocation. A front office that's working under an ownership like this has to more than, say, the Cubs front office needs to assert its control over Joe Madden, the Pirates front office has to have the final say and be able to dictate to Clint Hurdle and Ray Searage how the, how the game is going to be played in this organization, what the instructional principles they're going to stick to are, what kind of players they're going to acquire, and how they're going to use them. Because if they can't do that, the machine can't run efficiently enough to make up for the money they're not allowed to spend. Mm -hmm. So that's one key point. The other is, like I said, allocating resources wisely, and that means scouting, analytics, the things the Pirates were good at when Big Data Baseball first became a thing, and that they're really getting back to this year with things like the shifting improvements that Alex and I have both observed and with some of the changes they're making now to their pitchers' pitch mixes, when they let those things get away from them, when they sort of turned over the controls to the coaching staff, you saw them slide off the rails for a couple of years. It's not because Ray Searage isn't a good pitching coach or a good baseball man. 
It's because it's not his job to see the high-level trends in the game and react to them extremely quickly. That is the job of the front office. And when the front office isn't armed with as many resources as most of its rivals, that job's extra important. So they need to be able to assert control over it rather than letting the pitch, the coaching staff do it for them. Okay, Elide, we're going to end on a positive question again. Cole Tucker's hair, yes or no? <laughs> I, I'm still a little ambivalent. I want to like it, but I don't know. The, the angles, they're strange. I think it's, it's going to smooth out over time. He's got to keep rocking the flow, but he's got to bring it under control a little bit. And that's the story with any rookie coming into the majors, right? <laughs> you, you know, like, you come in guns blazing, running as fast as you can, and then you pull a hamstring a week in. You're swinging as hard as you can, generating all kinds of exit velo, but you're also striking out 30% of the time. That's Cole Tucker's hair right now. He'll figure it out. There's going to be some bumps along the way. Uh, it, well, right now, I think my issue is it's a little too straight, so more bumps <laughs> might help. Uh, but it's, it's a good look. It just needs some refinement. It just needs uh, an endorsement from, like, Head and Shoulders or something, like Paul Malu, you know, or just... Uh, or curlers. Yeah. yeah, something like that. All right, Matthew. wise he's been developed well. Yeah. Hair-wise, I think they rushed into the majors. That's going to be okay. <laughs> you got to let him learn. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can we find you on social media? Uh, at M.A. Trueblood. I also have an account just for my email newsletter that people can check out. It's at Penning Bull. Um, and pretty much anything I write will show up in one of those two places. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out his stuff, and uh, we will talk to you later, my man. Thanks, guys. Hey, Noah. What's up, Alexander? Have you heard of no negations? Have I? I love them, but tell me more about them. Oh, I will. No Negations is a motivational, lifestyle, and apparel brand. Their mission is to inspire others to achieve no matter the circumstance. You know what? What? It's so easy to quit or give up. I especially do it all the time. if the people around you are feeding negativity. I mean, just if you were around someone like me. Well, I just cover I cover the pirates. That's pretty negative. That is pretty negative. Continue. You know what that means? What? You should go to No Negations. That team wants to be positive, be that positive reinforcement in your life. Okay. Yeah. They offer talks and workshops to get your team, clients, and your customers motivated and inspired. Their team is on a national and world, has national and world-class athletes that are energetic, impactful, motivational speakers that offer insight on perseverance, team, team building, fitness, and mindset development. Now... I'm trying to be motivational right now. I am. I'm so. I'm motivated. not a good salesman, but so you know motivated. what? I am motivated. Are you motivated? I am. I am so motivated. You know what? If you are motivated, and whether you have a t-shirt, a hat, a polo, long sleeve shirt, crew neck hoodie, or leggings, mm -hmm. it should be a reminder that no matter your circumstance, you can overcome if you stay consistent. You know what? I'm good. You have the laptop right here? I have the laptop. All right. I'm going to type in www.nonegations.com. Mm -hmm. Go to order you some apparel, and you're going to receive some information on speaking events. Okay. All right. And while I'm at it, I'm going to – you're going on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at No Negations. You're following them all. I follow them all already. So, yeah, great ad read by Alex there, No Negations. Uh, check out their product. Check out what they can offer your business, uh, you personally. Uh, and follow them on social media. Great brand, great product, great uh, 
leadership top to bottom in that company, and uh, we're happy to have him on board here at the River Blast Podcast. Great ad read, Alex. Woo! Lo- love that. Is that your first ad read you've ever done? Yes. You nailed it, kid. People don't like giving me money for some reason. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Alex, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show, which is segments. Woo! Do you want to go first or should I? Uh, you go first. I I'll think go. I went first last time. I'll go first. All right. So we're going to do buy, sell, trade, obviously, to start off. I'm going to buy Gregory Polanco some glasses because that, that might be the only thing that I think explains his inability to track fly balls. I just don't get it. Uh, he clearly just did not practice any fielding at all in his rehab stint. I mean, and he, I mean, he's never been a good fielder. I understand that. He's always been someone, you know, who had a good arm and a good bat, and that was exciting to be, you know, a part of the team. And But, I mean, this this is – he's play, the defense he is playing right now is amongst some of the worst I've seen from a major leaguer. It's just – he's just very – out of place out there. The arm looks awful. He can't track anything, and I know hopefully it'll get better. Um, but things like tracking a fly ball should never be a concern uh, for a major leaguer, unless you have like Kent Tocolvi out in left field. So I'm buying him a new pair of glasses. I'm selling the notion that this team simply needs to get healthy in order to be a better ball club. Their outfield defense will undoubtedly get better when Marte and Dickerson return. No question there. But if overall, I think this team simply needs to score more runs. And the outfield has not been the problem for this offense. It's actually been one of the only reliable things. You have Reynolds hitting over 400 in his short time up. Jason Martin's had a couple clutch base hits. J.B. Shuck's pretty much sucked in the last couple weeks. Yeah, but He gets on base, so we like him. Uh, Gregory Polanco's hitting the ball well. Melky Cabrera's like sixth in the National League in batting. So, yeah, Marte and Dickerson, I think they'll be able to keep the ball rolling and probably add more to that, especially more power, hopefully. But overall, that's not going to fix the long-term problems, the, the, the key issues, which are infield defense, which are clutch hitting. Maybe that'll help it a little bit, but... I don't know. I mean, it's, it's been the guys toward the bottom of the order who aren't getting hits with runners on base that are killing the team, and Marte and Dickerson won't be hitting in the bottom of the order unless Clint gets creative. I don't know. I think the team will get a little better, but that's not going to fix everything when those two return. No. Uh, I am trading. What am I going to trade? I don't know. I'm trading these long road trips because I miss going to the ballpark. I feel like it's, it's a lot better when they're losing... Streaks are at home, as crazy as that sounds, because every morning you get to wake up uh, as someone who works and covers a team or someone who goes to a lot of games as a fan, you get to wake up, you get to go to a game, and you, you feel like you have, I don't know, I feel like they always have a better chance when I'm watching them in person. That might sound irrational, but like when you're, when you're there and you're in person and everything, you're up close and personal, you just feel like maybe this will be the day. When they're on the road and they're playing at 10 o'clock, you just feel like you're watching a bloodbath that's inevitable. And uh, so, yeah, I'm trading this long road trip. Get them home. Please, please get them home from Texas with a win, and maybe we'll turn it around against the Oakland A's. It's maybe. A, it's a pretty short homestand, this upcoming one. It's only like five games. It's five games, but it's and over, seven, it's over seven days, though. It's a long, mm-hmm. 
road trip comes up after that. Yep. I'm going to be chomping to get back at the ballpark after that, too. Yes. I'm with you on that. All right. Buy, sell, trade, Alex. What do you got for me? I am buying some whiskey. Okay. I, I, just a little bit of a performance enhancing stimulant to get through watching some of these games. It's not been good. It hasn't been enjoyable. May as well have a good whiskey to go along with it. Okay. I am selling Clint's bullpen management this past week. It was not good. Whether it was pitching the cord or uh, pitching the Bellinger. Yeah. On Sunday. Shouldn't do that. Whenever he's been sent by the devil himself to get hits, and he's just been tearing you apart all se- all series. He's been tearing the league apart yeah, all but, season. Okay, but recency bias. He had yeah. just been destroying Pirates pitching all series, and mm-hmm. you could not give up a hit right there. It's like, just walk him. Yeah. Play the percentage. There is only one best hitter in baseball, and he has been at so far this yeah. year, so try your luck with anyone else. That was bad. Vasquez, he hadn't gotten any work in. I would have loved to see him come in in the seventh inning of the Musgrove game whenever there were runners on base. You know, you needed an out right there. Because what have you been using him for? Seemed like a perfect chance to get him a four-out appearance. It just... Not good bullpen management overall. And... Which is kind of sad because... Liriano, I know I sold him, but you look at him now, like, objectively, okay, he's let a lot of inherited runners come in, but he's done all right. Vasquez, this might be the best he's pitched in the major leagues so far. Yeah. Richrod's been inconsistent, but, you know, I, I, I'm seeing some positive things out of him lately. Even Kella, like, the curveball seems to be slowly coming back. Like The bullpen has had some rough spots, but... It's coming together. Yeah, you you gotta trust your guys. You gotta trust the best, the back of the baseball card, as Clinton would say every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Don't overcook it, as Clint would say also. <laughs> and I had a trade, and I forgot the trade because I didn't write it down. Uh, are you gonna trade uh, me some Infinity Stones so we could go back in time and talk? Uh, I still haven't on, seen it, so I don't ruin it for you again. Yeah, that was terrible. How have you not seen it? Because I was going to see it with some college friends, and one of them just keeps flaking out on us. And I think I'm just going to ditch him. I've seen it twice already. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Enjoy, you know, making it the number one movie over Avatar. I'm going to see it whenever it crosses over the Avatar threshold in like a month. Okay, well, you're you're liable to er, spoilers in like three days. Yeah, I know. I know, I gotta go Like, I won't feel bad anymore. Oh, I won't, Yeah. There's no reason to feel bad. Yeah, that's what I'm going to try. I'm trading the hardest choices for the strongest wills for the Pirates <laughs> bullpen management right now. We're in the end game now. Yes. All right. All right. So, so this has been such a fun episode so far. So let's, depressing. let's get into my new favorite segment. How did Major League Baseball F up this week? And... Uh, there's one that's kind of out in the open right now, so... Does this fall on the MLB as a whole? I'm, I'm just gonna... I'm expanding past It's MLB, just the game. Just, just the game. Okay. Just the game. Or those associated with it. Y- yes. And this is going to Reds broadcaster Chris Welsh, who this week... <laughs> the Reds were playing in Atlanta... 
And Ozzy Albies, very talented young second baseman, signed a, an extremely team-friendly contract extension. Mm-hmm. I don't like the deal. I think it's, quite frankly, bad for, you know, a lot of players in, you know, the union at the moment. But, hey, you know what? It was Ozzy's decision. There was no gun held up to his head. He said that he wanted, you know, to support his family. Just don't have to worry about it. It's it's still $35 million. It's a lot of money. I don't agree it with this. could have been dis- more. It, it should have been more. Could have been 85. I don't blame Ozzy. I blame his agents for negotiating a terrible contract. Mm-hmm. But Ozzy himself, I, I don't blame him. But Chris Welsh, Red's broadcaster, was talking about the decision. And he said, quite frankly, that Ozzy might not know the difference between 35, which he signed for, and $85 million. Which is stupid, and basically the only basis that he had for that was that he was from Caraco. Which, okay, Ozzy, first of all, is a pretty smart dude. Like, he speaks four languages. He's not, you know, the poor, extremely poor kid. He signed, you know, for a couple hundred thousand dollars in international, you know, signing bonus money. Mm-hmm. Right? And he said, you know, why he's doing it. It's like, that is just a very... Bad, kind of, kind of just, ignorant comment. Yeah, that was that was pretty bad. All right, so I always like to be the contrarian, yes, uh, and try to play devil's advocate. So here are my takes. Yes, one, Ozzy Albies has dyslexia, and he literally might not be able to differentiate eights and threes. This Could is coming happen. from Mr. Wrote Down Baseball Prospect. Yes, that okay. is very true. Two, c- coming back to me. I am a self-proclaimed not-a-numbers guy. Yes. And I know that there are some of us out there who aren't numbers guys. Now, am I as bad that I don't know my difference between $85 million and $35 million? Would no. Never been in that situation where I've had either offered to me. I would hope that I would get it right, but there's a chance I would mess up too. Three, you said he speaks four languages. I only speak one language, so I can't confirm if numbers look different in said languages. Can't confirm or deny it. Don't speak them. I took German and Spanish, but for the sake of this argument, I'm going to pretend that I don't remember if numbers <laughs> look the same in those. You uh, are really pleading ignorance. Um, uh, that numbers well, don't look. Let, let, let me hang stop on. digging this hole. I took Spanish or uh, Spanish in college. I'm not German here for logic, school. Alex. I'm here to give my counter same argument. <laughs> um, and then uh, the fourth, the fourth one, maybe, maybe. Rather than uh, doing it the the right way for journalists, where if it's a double digit, you you just simply put the numerals. Maybe they spelled it out, and he couldn't read the handwriting, or they had a bad font, and he he misread the numbers there. So th- those would be my counter arguments for uh, Ozzy Albies not knowing the difference between eighty five million dollars and thirty five million dollars. Maybe. Like, Alex said this to me, if he came into... Did you say this on the podcast, or did you just say this I, to me? I said this, like... Said this gym, before. Yeah, whenever uh, I was pitching this. Yeah. If I if scrooge you, McDucked into a big pile of money... Maybe that's what they did. They just said, the, you could have all this money, and they brought him into a room with $35 million stacked up. And he didn't know how much it was. They told him it was $85 million, but they gypped him. No, I was taking it much more literally that if I Scrooge McDucked into a, a pile of money, and you said, hey, Alex, how much is in here? 35 or $85 million. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, have no basis. So, but yes, but like, as a, 
As opposed to reading a contract that your agents negotiated. Very, very bad sentence there, Chris Welsh. Not great. Shame on you. Not great. And that is how Major League Baseball effed up this week. You know, and uh, <laughs> shout out to Ozzy Alzi- Alves on his $35 million. I Which hope- is $34,990,000 more than I'll ever make. <laughs> so $10,000 is all you'll make? In my lifetime, yeah. $10,000 in your entire lifetime. I don't want to brag, but did you see how I did that we're ad taking, We're taking uh, <laughs> more submissions for sponsorships. Uh, feel free to contact us on Twitter. After an ad read like those I, gave, DMs. I don't know why we're not getting people banging down the doors at the moment. All right, so we're going to move on now. Our next segment is, instead of well said Clint, I'm going to say well said Colin. I interviewed Colin Moran earlier this week, and... I don't like to brag, but I think it was probably the best interview that I've ever done, simply because of how long I got Colin Moran to talk to me about the game of baseball. This is true. Like, Alex, I, was, I was impressed. It was, I was to the point where shot. Alex was walking by and stopped in his tracks and was like, this He's still is, going. He's still going. I made him laugh twice in the interview. Uh it was for uh, 93.7 The Fan, so on Thursday, if you listen to our pregame show any day of the week, we normally play sound from Clint Hurdle, and then when I work, um, we'll have an interview from one of the players in the clubhouse, and I'll ask the hosts, uh, you know, be it Dan or Craig, just say, hey, who do you want me to grab today? You know, and I'll try to get two or three minutes, but because we didn't have Clint Hurdle, uh, sound on Thursday, it was a short game, he wasn't speaking to the media before the game, um... They, they said, you know, no Clint, so Noah, you got to try to make this a little bit longer. And I was like, well, who should I talk to? And the best option available, really, was Colin Moran. I mean, he'd been hitting the ball well, especially with runners in scoring position, and he'd been the subject of some interesting decision-making, you know, playing at second base, playing in left field. I really wanted to know what he had to say, because everyone had asked Hurdle about it, but I really hadn't heard much of his side of the story about all of this new stuff that he has going on. Uh, so I pulled him aside, and I asked to speak to him, and, you know, I know Colin kind of gets made fun of every now and then because he's introverted and he's quiet, but Colin is a solid guy. He is a very nice guy, he's always been super polite, um, and he's not trying to be something that he's not. He's not going to try to, you know, be Juju Smith-Schuster and have a YouTube channel, and, you know, he's just he's just a ball player. That's all he cares about. He just wants to play baseball, do his job, and help the team any way possible, and he gave me a great interview um, I'd highly encourage you to look it up on uh, 93.7 The Fan's website, um, just because, you know, he showed a lot of emotion, he had a lot of in-depth answers, and like like I said, like Alex, I watched Alex in the background stop in his tracks and was like amazed by how long this was going, and I was shocked too. I was hoping to get two and a half minutes from him, he gave me four minutes and 45 seconds worth of solid conversation. I, I think I did my whole Cole Tucker interview. Yeah. In the time that you, like, you started yours, I went over to Cole, talked to him, I finished talking to Cole, and then I walked past, like, he's still going. Yeah, and think think of it, like, I so know... What, so what was the quote for the well said? Oh, um, I mean, I guess my favorite thing was, uh, was at the end... this just humble brag? Uh, this was just a humble brag. <laughs> I, I think at the end I asked him, I said, so you've played uh, second base and outfield for the first time in your major league career, what's next? Pitcher, shortstop, he said, uh... He just basically joked, he's like, I'd love to be the emergency catcher, uh, and I, he said I'd probably have to shave my beard, though, which would be interesting in itself to see Colin Moran without a beard. That Pittsburgh. is a cursed image wild. that I do not want to imagine. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, shout out to him. And I know like four and a half minutes doesn't sound long to a lot of people, but like you try talking to someone for four and a half minutes uh, who normally A, doesn't talk a lot, and B, you have to try to make it the whole conversation interesting not only to yourself but a lot of people listening. So it, it was difficult, and Moran... You just described this podcast. Yeah, Moran, <laughs> Moran really nailed it, so shout out to him. Well, well, job well done, Colin. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan now. All right, so I guess for our last thing of the day, our last segment, because, you know, we could we could keep this pity party going as long as we want, but Alex has other stuff to do. He's got a hot date, I guess. Oh, so, yeah. uh, sink or float, Alex. Adam Frazier is still hurt. I, I, I think that floats. I mean, he's not 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty clear. I mean, you don't expect anybody to get 100%. This isn't a video game where, you know, he's hurt for... Two weeks and then he comes back at full strength. Mm-hmm. Polanco's still hurt. I mean, half the lineups are hurt. I think, in some way, at least not one hundred percent. So, yeah, I, I'd buy that the back is still probably probably bothering him a bit. All right. So this isn't a segment, but I wanted to ask. This. I felt like we should discuss this before uh, we end the show. Okay. Question for you. Yes. Who has been a bigger Thorn in the pirate side, maybe, or I want—I don't want to say, yeah, just a bigger problem for the fact that they're not producing. Gung or Cervelli? Cervelli. Cervelli. I agree. Because Gung, there at least is the option of okay, we're gonna ditch him and we're gonna put Colin Moran at third base, or if you want to get bold, Cabrian Hayes at third base. Mm-hmm. Like Cervelli, Diaz is not one hundred percent either, and he hasn't really hit. The Cervelli one really puzzles me. Because he was so good last year. Four home runs, 22 runs batted in, OPS over 950. In April, yeah. In April last year. Yeah. That just blows my mind. and I've really been looking at the swing like, what's different? And I can't find it. And it's not been like, oh, he's like had a couple of bad breaks. Like, he's just been bad. He's just, he's not hitting the ball hard. No. I mean, it's, it'd be one thing if he was batting one, what is it, 170 right now? I think it's like 175, yeah. It'd be one thing if he was doing that and he was tattooing the ball. You know, he was still getting it in the air. He was hitting it hard. It'd driving like, runs in, uh, you know. Well, not even that, but if uh. he was, if he was just driving the ball, you could at least be like, tough luck, that's how baseball goes. Those are going to fall in for hits, so. But I really don't even see that. I agree. It's been... Even if you take away that 0 for 26 streak, which is a big example of, you know, just gerrymandering statistics, he still hasn't been a good hitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's something to be concerned about because you just figured the offensive production from the catcher position would be something mm-hmm. you could rely on this year. Yeah. And you've got... I, know, I mean, you've, you've got a surprise from Bell. I think the outfield's going to be... Reliable throughout the whole season. Frazier hopefully will get better as he gets a little bit more yeah. back to full health. Cole Tucker, I think, provides more than anyone else could at the shortstop position between Moran and Gung. I think they've held their own at third base, I guess. As far Moran as, has. Gung hasn't. I mean, the but like you can you add Gung's four home runs to what Moran has done, and I think okay. overall you're you're you have a passing grade. Um but I mean catcher Catcher, you're getting nothing. Things, you yeah. might as well trot out Stallings to hit every single game. Yeah, he could hit 175 in that many games. Probably, probably. All right, Alex. Any final thoughts? Uh, Josh Bell had a great month. I'm 
I'm usually one of the hardest guys on him. I can't take anything away from him. Good for him. Good for you, Josh Bell. At the plate. At the plate. <laughs> yeah, just in, well, yes. But just in general, like he was worth as much war this month as he was his entire rookie season. That's a good sign. Yeah. Finally, impact player Josh Bell. I like it. Shout out Rick Eckstein. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't it's really shown on anyone else, but yeah, <laughs> shout out. You know what? JB, he's worth the investment, man. Just swing that stick, keep hitting them, hit, hitting them dingers, buddy. Uh, my final thoughts would be, um, I don't know. Hopefully, we can get some wins. Hopefully, you're listening to this tomorrow, and the losing streak is over, and the sky ceases to fall. So, and even if it does continue, even if the world is ending, even if our pet heads do continue to fall off, we're still going to continue to make this podcast. Every single week, drop it every single Wednesday. So be sure to follow us that on social got media dark fast. at Alex J Stump at Noah underscore Hiles ninety five. Classic Noah talking about Sh- dead pets. Yep, share, <laughs> share us, like us, rate us, subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell everybody, tell Ozzy, Al- tell Ozzy Albies uh, that we have eighty five listeners because he <laughs> might not know the difference. Um, according to the according to the Reds broadcaster, that go. is you, you stuck the landing. Yeah. So until then, we will see you next time, folks. Signing off as always, saying, "Let's go, Bucks."